Good morning, y'all. Good morning. Come on, y'all made it through the cold. Give yourselves a hand. Okay, not too hard. I don't want one of the fingers to break off. Some of y'all walked out of your house and you felt like Jack in the Titanic. You're like, I can see why she left him off that board of wood. It's too cold out here to be playing games. Hey, listen, speaking of the cold, where's all the like native Texans and Californians at? Raise your hand. All right, make some noise. Okay. Some of y'all, all right. We're not, I'm not talking to you, okay. Where are my people from the Northwest, Midwest, Northeast? Right? Make some noise. Come on, y'all. Who know what real cold is, right? That's exactly right. Let us teach you. Texans, Californians, let us teach you how it's done. Because some of y'all act crazy. Um, I was in H-E-B the other day, and I'm like, this is nuts. This is, I, I went for a regular day of shopping. People were going for World War Z, right? Like it was... <laughs> apocalyptic in nature. And I think it's PTSD from a few years ago. If you're new to the Austin area, it's PTSD, right? Because of the ice apocalypse. Like that's what they called it here in Texas, the ice apocalypse. Everywhere else where we experience cold, it's called a Tuesday, right? It was a week long apocalyptic, you know, uh, state of being. Like the Texas government looked outside the front porch and were like, let's just throw some table salt out there. Like that should work, right? That's enough. And then we'll go to Cancun, okay? <laughs> And uh, <laughs> somebody like, oh my God, this book. No, it's not. It's just fun. It's just jokes. But I'm at uh, H-E-B and um, I spent more time in line than I did actually buying groceries. Like l- this is legit, like an hour. And people going nuts. Like people are buying things that they don't need. Do you realize that? Like when, when this stuff, type of stuff happens out of desperation, they're like, we're going to need like truffle oil is f- flying off the shelves. I'm like, are you auditioning for Gordon Ramsay right now? Like what are we... Why do you need this? You're buying leeks. You ain't never eat a leek in your life. I know, <laughs> like people are just buying things out of desperation. It's insane. So from those of us from cold places, we're trying to teach you what it's about. So Texans, like, stand still, let us help you in this season. It's gonna be okay, okay? I promise you have enough firewood. You got enough water. You're gonna make it, all right? Like I said, my wife and I, we moved here um, uh, in 2018. We moved here to be the student pastors. We moved from the DMV. Department of Motor Vehicles? No, the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Any people, anybody from D.C., Maryland, Virginia area? All right, we got one. There we go. We got one. Uh, So we moved here from the DMV, and uh, it was, we were quickly, uh, you know, thrown into Texas culture. When we moved here, we had two kids. Our daughter Layla was four going on five. Our son Zion was about eight months old. So we have three kids now, our son Tiago. So he's a native Texan, which means uh, he thinks he's bigger than he really is. Um, he, He thinks he's a much bigger deal than he really is. All right. Um, but, uh, and then soon after getting here, a few months into getting here, uh, we got pregnant on purpose. We were practicing in case you were wondering. Um, and so, uh, we got pregnant very shortly and a couple of months in, we're telling everybody we're excited. This is our first baby away from our family, you know, gateway. You guys really became our family here, but a few months into our, into this pregnancy, um, my wife, Emma, uh, begins to wakes up one morning and there is more blood than normal. And so we quickly make an emergency uh, visit to the OBGYN, and they do an ultrasound, and they couldn't find a heartbeat. They scanned the ultrasound again and said, well, maybe the baby's positioned differently. Let's try again. Uh, And the nurse walks out, and then the doctor comes in. And the doctor came in and told us, essentially, she says, I'm sorry, but you've lost a baby. And she quickly went into a talk of how this is normal and common, and it happens to many women, and it's nothing that you did wrong. But all we could do is just go home and weep. 
And I'll never forget the first people at our door within an hour of receiving the news was Eric and Deborah Bryant, your campus pastors. And they came with flowers. Not many words, because there's not much to say, but it was just their presence that meant the world to us. And in the days and weeks that followed, I tried to rationalize that grief, right? Like the things that we do when we're experiencing uh, loss or heartache, well, this is really common. Like she said, this is, it happens all the time. We didn't know the sex of the baby. We didn't have uh, any preparations really. It, was, it wasn't a big deal. Like maybe we weren't ready. All the things you try to do to minimize the pain. And let me pause right there and say this. If you're a woman in the room or if you're a couple and you've experienced miscarriage or you're going through the pain of infertility even now, can I just deeply from the bottom of my heart say how sorry I am? And my heart engulfs you with support and with love. If you've experienced that kind of loss, don't let anyone minimize it or compare it. But I'll never forget, I got a phone call from my friend and central campus pastor, uh, Kenny Green who him and his wife had also experienced uh, miscarriage. And he called me and said, Ricky, I, I just want you to know that your lamenting is a form of worship. He said, when you give God this pain, you are telling him, I trust you with my emotions. And you have probably found like I have. As a society, we don't deal well with grief, do we? Like, we don't deal well with what we deem negative emotions. I mean, we know how to feel and celebrate the mountaintop moments of life and the victories and the championships. I mean, we're in uh, Grammy season and, and Oscar season, and people actually run out of time trying to thank everybody. They're like, oh, my God, I can't thank everybody. And then they start listing all the people to thank, and then the band has to come and play, right? Like, we, we have so many words for those positive moments in our lives, for those mountaintops moments of love and success, but our vocabulary and our body language shrink when we're facing something so daunting. It's as if the obstacle in front of us leaves us speechless. And we don't know how to deal with the discomfort. We don't know how to deal with the awkward moments when we can't really vocalize our grief and our pain and, and, and the things that we don't wish for. I mean, some of us have a hard time sending food back at a restaurant. <laughs> Right, like it comes out like, I'm just gonna eat this. This is nasty, but I don't want the awkwardness of dealing with, I don't want the waiter to feel bad. But what happens when life serves you a plate that you didn't ask for? For some of you, 2023 was a year that you wanna forget. For some of us, it was a year that our losses, if we think of life as the scale sometimes of our wins and our losses, where our losses were so heavy that it catapulted our wins off the scales of life and everything was broken. I get it. For some of us, we couldn't wait for the clock to strike midnight into 2024. Some of you experienced a loss so deep it feels like you're a ghost drifting through this thing that everybody else calls reality. Some of you are dealing with lawsuits, defamation, betrayal, the suffering of a child, the pain of a diagnosis, and on and on and on. Some of us have come to the end of our rope and begged God for an answer to fall like manna from heaven, and others of us gave up on a God that we thought would answer our prayers, but we've prayed and prayed and prayed, and nothing seems to be working. Romans 8, 24 to 28 shows us that for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, 
the Spirit is with us. And when we come to the end of ourselves, he is there praying the words when we don't have them anymore. So Paul, he writes this letter to the church in Rome who was suffering through persecution, through literal death and pain and suffering. And he says, listen, hold on. I know this is hard. Hold on. Jesus went through it too, and he's with you. And because of his death and resurrection, there is a hope available to you. I know it doesn't make sense right now. I know it feels like the world is collapsing. I know it feels like everything is coming to an end, but hold on. He says this in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Maybe you've seen this passage before. Maybe this is the first, your first time interacting with it, but consider the implications of this passage this morning. In essence, when you and I are hoping and praying for something, when we come to God and we, when we've exhausted the limits of the human lexicon, when all we have are tears and sighs and groans and grunts before God, it is there that the Holy Spirit is with us that he takes our emotions, he takes your pain, the longings of your very heart, and he translates them into intercessory prayer. He becomes the intermediary between you and heaven. When we come to God in humility, in frustration, in anger, in joy, in the gamut of human emotion, he takes our powerlessness and he turns them into powerful prayers. Listen to how the message version puts Romans 8, 26 to 28. It says, meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of the wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows our pregnant condition and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. If you don't remember anything else this morning, you can remember this. Prayer is helplessness in action. Prayer is helplessness in action. In psychology, there's a term called learn helplessness. It's a negative term, if you will, but in essence, it's when there's a similar traumatic events, one after the other, that we think, well, why even try anymore? I keep getting the same result. I keep applying and I keep getting rejected for this job, for this school, whatever. So I am just gonna live this life defeated. In fact, learned helplessness is perhaps the leading cause of depression. And if we're real, it's one of the leading causes in an anemic prayer life. When we think, well, why do I keep praying this if nothing is changing? But listen, prayer is taking that helplessness, that powerlessness, and putting it into the hands of the one who is all-powerful. Y'all, prayer is not buying a lotto ticket. Prayer is not a message in a bottle and shipping it across an ocean and hoping that an open and receptive God might unlock it and read it. 
and grant our wishes. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is assurance that every time we come to God, he is there listening, praying through us and working on our behalf. Even when it seems like the answer is delayed or even when it seems like the answer is the very thing we didn't want, the opposite of what we were praying for. Prayer is trusting God with our limits and our frustrations. You know, we're in this season, the first three weeks out of every year called Pray First. Many of you have already opened up the app and are following and journey along, journeying along with us in prayer. But I couldn't help but think of this book, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Somebody told me in the middle of the services that it's actually free on Audible. But this is one of the books that has changed my life most when it comes to the topic of prayer. And really when it comes to how I see God and interacting with God as a loving father and not as this deity in the sky who's just opening an email of prayer. And this is what Paul Miller says when it comes to helplessness in our prayer life in this book. He says, God wants us to come to him empty-handed, weary, and heavy laden. But instinctively, we want to get rid of our helplessness before we come to God. We want to exhaust all of our efforts and try to manufacture and, and come to an answer before we come to God. But he says, no, no, come to me as you are. See, God's spirit does not remove our weakness, but he helps us in our weakness. He bridges the gap between old and new, between what we see and what he is called to be. Prayer is coming to God and saying something like this. I'm angry that you let my loved one pass away. I feel abandoned and afraid. Prayer is saying, why do I try and try? And it seems like I can't beat this addiction, God. Prayer is saying, how is it that I can pour time and devotion into this relationship? And it feels like it's getting worse. Prayer is sometimes saying, God, I don't even know what I'm asking for. I just need you. And can I remind you when you don't have the words that there's this book of prayer called the Psalms in the Bible. And it's over 150 prayers, and it spans the spectrum of human condition and displays every possible emotion that we might experience. And this is how David prayed in Psalm 6. Again, this is the message paraphrase, and it says this. Think about communicating with God this way. Please, God, no more yelling. No more trips to the woodshed. Treat me nice for a change. I'm so starved for affection. Can't you see I'm black and blue, beaten up badly in bones and soul? God, how long will it take before you let up? Break in, God, and break up this fight. If you love me at all, get me out of here. I'm no good to you, dead, am I? I can't sing in your choir if I'm buried in some tomb. I'm tired of all of this, so tired. My bed has been floating 40 days and nights, on the flood of my tears. My mattress is soaked, soggy with tears. The sockets of my eyes are black holes, nearly blind. I squint and grope. Get out of here, you devil's crew. At last, God has heard my sobs. My requests have all been granted. My prayers are answered. I wonder, when did David write those last few lines? Like if this was in his journal, maybe he had to wait a few months or a few years to see, God, you were there. And you answered even when I didn't think you were. Again, prayer is helplessness in action. 
Psalm 6 is just one of many, but this is a prayer of someone, of David in this instance, who is helpless but not hopeless, who has come to the end of himself but come to the beginning of who God is. See, if we take Romans 8, 26 and 28 that we opened up with, if we take it seriously, we see that the spirit is there, he's listening, that he is there in the middle of our weakness and in our helplessness that we experience true communion with God. Listen to me, when you take your helplessness, when you take your hurt and your pain and your weakness to God, I promise you, you will experience a different level of intimacy with the creator. What if on the other side of our pain and our hurt is a level and a spiritual intimacy with God that we never realized was possible? Prayer is helplessness in action, but prayer is also allowing God to search your heart. In that verse in 27, it says that the Spirit searches our heart. And I imagine that the, even the things that we pray for, the Holy Spirit is doing like heaven's grammarly on our, on our prayers. Y'all remember the Key and Peele uh, uh, skit that happened a couple of years ago, the, the Obama translator? You remember that? Some of you are already triggered. Relax, it's comedy, okay? And, and it was like, here's what he's saying. Here's, what, here's the translator, what he actually means. That's, like, that's how I view this passage uh, when it says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Like we pray, God, I want her back. She completes me. And the Holy Spirit is telling the Father, that's not what he actually means. What he he really just lonely. <laughs> like he wants you to, he just wants to know what true love looks like, right? Like we pray, God, take this pain away. I can't bear another day. I just want to die. And the Holy Spirit translates, Father, she needs to feel you close. She needs to know that you're here shouldering the weight of this hurt with her. See, we have to come to God honestly in our brokenness in order to receive the response that our soul needs. And I think one of the best examples, examples of this was John the Baptist. John was this promised forerunner of Jesus. He was the prophet before Jesus blazing the trail for the Messiah. He was a relative of Jesus, but he says, I'm not even worthy of untying this man's sandals and he is coming and he's bringing salvation to all. But John was this a huge figure at the time of Jesus. I mean, he was beloved by the people. He was respected even by his enemies. He had no problem speaking truth to power to the point that it lands him in prison. And Matthew 11 clues us in to what I think is such an important crucible moment in the life of every Christ follower. It's a moment in John the Baptist's life. And it says this in verse one, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? This is John the Baptist. This is a giant in the faith. This prophet of renown finds himself awaiting execution. And he comes to this nexus point where his current experience doesn't match his expectation of, he, of what he had of Jesus and his kingdom. Have you been there? See, John is, is, is believing that Jesus is going to bring salvation, believing that Jesus is going to transform hearts. Absolutely. But he's also believing that Jesus is going to undo the corrupt government and power that's in place. But yet that very same government has him in prison. 
and he's exhausted. And he sends word to his followers. And this isn't like a text message, y'all. Like they had to travel 100 miles to where Jesus was and bring word to Jesus and says, hey, we talked to John. And he said, are, are you the one? Should I look for somebody else? I believe every follower of Jesus, every human comes to that place of saying, God, this is not how I expected it to turn out. Are you the one? Or am I wasting my time? When our experiences don't match the expectations we have of God. John is coming to Jesus honestly, not with the title of prophet, but with the reality of prisoner. And see, when we come to God and we lay our feelings and doubts at his feet, he will search our hearts and he will respond in truth. John says, are you the one that is to come or should we look for another? We might put it this way. God, I'm doing everything you asked me for and I'm still mistreated at this job and nothing is opening up and it feels like you don't care and you're not listening. God, it feels like you gave up on me and I don't understand why my marriage is in shambles and nothing is working. See, I love this church, not because this is a place where we come, we sing songs, and we listen to the week's TED Talk, because this is a community that you all have embraced and have formed to be a place where people can truly come with whatever baggage, whatever things that they are processing, a space where people can come into this worship environment and question respectfully and sometimes not respectfully God's control of this thing called life. Because oftentimes we come to a place where we don't have the answers and we doubt if God does too. That's where John finds himself. And listen to how Jesus responds. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, he says, just because you aren't feeling it or experiencing it personally does not mean that I'm not working in you, through you, and all around you. Don't let your experience and your expectations rob you from understanding who I truly am. He's claiming that those who accept the reality of who he is and what he came to do, those are the ones who won't stumble. He says, listen, I'm the one with you in that prison cell. I'm the one comforting you in the wake of death. I'm the one who is with you when your wayward child feels like they aren't ever coming home again. I'm the one sustaining and providing for you even when you can't see it. He says to John and he says to us, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Put another way, you're blessed when you stick with me, even when it doesn't go the way that you wanted it to, because you'll see the goodness of God beyond your circumstances. See, you and I have to come to God and let him search us because he goes shaping and molding us into his image. When we don't come to him in our brokenness or even in celebration, what we're saying is, God, I know how to do this life better than you do. I will handle it. And over time, if you stay in that place, your heart will grow cold and rigid to the things of God. Richard Foster, the theologian, says this, to pray is to change. 
Prayer is a central avenue God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. See, prayer, again, is allowing God to search your heart. And he tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. See, here he mildly rebukes John and his disciples. But in the verses that follow, he gives John this huge tribute of his life. See, when you come to God humbly and honestly and let him search your heart, you'll find that he does a few things. He replaces your self-pity with dignity. He gives you his presence in the midst of your pain. He gives you strength to persevere even when you don't get the answers you want. He gives you his words even when you don't have any. Our band is going to come and they're going to play a song and then we're going to finish this message. But hear me. If you follow Jesus long enough, you'll find that for every accusation, every doubt, every angry fist, every tear, every sigh, every wordless groan, every ambivalent breath that you give to God, you know how he returns that? He returns it with love and goodness and sometimes correction, but gentleness and kindness. Can you listen to the words of this song? And I promise you they'll resonate your heart. Sometimes marriages don't work. Sometimes babies die. Sometimes rehab turns to relapse. And you left just asking why And for all the prayers I pray I still wonder if he's real And if he's always choosing Who he doesn't, doesn't heal I tried to run from Jesus I started holy wars I tried the patient waiting And the kicking down the doors Cursed his name in anger With my fists raised to the sky In return, all he's ever been is kind And I burned my share of bridges I learned to tug my tail and run I watched the wreckage in the rear view From the crooked things I'd done and I know that he forgives me But it's hard to forgive myself I can't help but think amazing grace Is for everybody else I tried to run from Jesus I started holy wars I tried the patient waiting And the kicking down the doors I cursed his name in anger if my fist raised to the sky And in return All he's ever been Is kind All he's ever been Is kind And I know I wasn't there When I look up to the cross 
I see the darkest day in history. I guess that's what kindness costs. I tried to run from Jesus. I started holy wars. I tried to patient wait it and the kicking down of doors. He knows I don't deserve it, but he's never changed his mind. All he's ever been is kind. All he's ever been is kind. It's a powerful song, isn't it? So you might be asking, Ricky, why does this matter? Like if this is a prayer when we don't have words, why not just hold it in? Why not just keep it in? Why give this to God anyway? Why bother praying at all? Why should I give God my suffering, my pain? Because if not, a few things will happen. If we internalize our pain or if we try to work it out ourselves or we try to relying on other people, a couple things might happen. If we internalize our pain, then you and I just become a retention pond for our hurt, instead of having access to the living water that God offers us. Listen, scripture tells us that you and I are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You and I are not a temple of pain and resentment. You can't stuff it down so long. Eventually, it's gonna break through. If we simply try and fix our problems, then our hearts will become jaded and hardened when we realize you and I are finite beings and we are limited. And maybe you're in this place and you're like, well, Ricky, I don't really have any big things going on. I'm, I'm in a comfortable place in life. But can I challenge you? It is there. If you're experiencing a season of comfort and God is, man, multiplying things in your life, that is amazing. But it is there where we build the muscle because one day the bottom will fall out. And we have to learn to rely on a God who is with us in our joy and in our pain, in our highs and in our lows. And if we look to others, then we make idols out of people who will eventually let you and I down because we're limited. And no person was meant to fix you or complete you. So where in your life do you feel powerless right now? Where has the pain swallowed up joy? Where are the unanswered questions and prayers still echoing off the walls of your life? If it feels like the suffering and your life is meaningless or pointless, I promise you it is not. We serve a God who wastes nothing. Romans 8, verses 24 to 28, Paul says this. He says, listen, in light of everything, this hope, it's what propels us to keep asking and keep praying. Even when we don't have the words, the Holy Spirit is there praying them for you. In light of that reality, this is what he says in verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. If he works it all for good, that means mixed in is some bad and some ugly, but he works it for good. See, in God's economy, nothing is wasted. He takes your mess and turns it into a message, and he uses our suffering for his glory. Lastly, prayer is the realization that suffering makes us more like Jesus. And I know that's not the message you came here to hear. 
You have to understand, God does not cause all things. God does not cause all things. He does not cause the evil in your life. We are human. We choose that. But he allows all things. He allows them and works them for his purpose. Philippians 1.6 tells us that he has a plan for us, and we can be confident that he will, not might, not maybe if conditions are right, he will complete it in us. As we celebrate Martin Luther King Day tomorrow, this quote rings true as we talk about suffering albeit the suffering caused by the injustice and the effects of slavery and segregation in this country for hundreds of years. But look at what Dr. King says. This quote, it shows a disposition that you can only have when you believe in a power greater than yourself. The irony here is that he's talking to pastors in the letters from Birmingham jail. He's talking to clergymen who had criticized his involvement in the civil rights demonstrations in Birmingham, Alabama. Oftentimes, Christians, we have the worst things to say when experiencing suffering. But look at what Dr. King says. As my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that there were two ways in which I could respond to my situation, either to react with bitterness or to seek to transform the suffering into a creative force. I decided to follow the latter course. See, when we hear this quote, it isn't in isolation either. It was the furtherance and the culmination of the prayers and lives of the enslaved and the abolitionists of decades and centuries before. And the prayers of those fighting for equality before and with Dr. King and those still fighting for equality today. See that quote, it just echoes Romans 8 and shows us that in our weakness and in our pain, the spirit of God is there sustaining us. When we have submitted our lives to the lordship of Jesus. And if you're in this place and you're not in a place where you're following Jesus, we love that you're here. If you're skeptical and you're still searching and curious about this whole Christianity thing, listen to what we are saying. We're saying, what if, what if at the end of your rope, what if at the end of your impotence, of you and I's impotence, we have access to the omnipotence of God? That when you and I are at our last thread, it is there that the creator of the cosmos is with us and he dwells inside of us and he gives us access to his divine strength and power and peace. What if that's possible? C.S. Lewis says this about pain and suffering. He says, we can ignore even pleasure. The pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The gospel, God's free gift of grace in Jesus, only works when we realize that we don't have it all together, and the same is true of prayer. It is in our deepest pain that we can find a level of intimacy we never dreamed of. And this is where our story becomes the story of Jesus. That what God did through and for Jesus, he will surely do through us. God used the suffering of Christ to bring about the greatest good for humanity. And his suffering ended in glory, in resurrection. And the same is true for you and I today. Yes, there is suffering in the world. Yes, life sucks when we put it plainly. Yes, there is still tragedy and death and illness and pain and frustration. And we don't ignore it. We don't suppress it. But what we can do is trust that God is working it for the greatest of our good, our resurrection. And when we do that, and we do that along with all of creation, believing that one day he will make everything new, one day he will make everything right. 
prayer is a realization that suffering makes us more like Jesus. So as our band is going to come up and lead us in one last song, as a body of believers, I, I want us to pray this next prayer together. You can do it out loud and pray with me. Some of you are like, just for asking? I'm not. <laughs> I get it. Or you can just pray it silently. But would you follow along as we pray this? The corporate prayer for when you don't have words. And our band is going to lead us in a song after that. And here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to lovingly ask this. Because sometimes we treat the last song as like, this is my cue to beat the rush. <laughs> Grab my stuff. Let's go pick up the kids. The crock pot can wait. The kids are going to be just fine. We have an excellent team. Would you not miss what the Holy Spirit would want to do in your heart in the next few moments? Would you not miss what he's wanting to speak to you and I and what he's wanting to show you just for the sake of getting out early? Let's read this prayer together. God, we know things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. It's exhausting. There's deep suffering in this very room and in the world that we are weak and helpless to do anything about. We ache for the day when everything will be made right. Some of us are weary from years of praying the same prayer, and we're afraid to admit that we don't think you're listening. Some of us are tired of running the race of faith when the world and its desires are pressing in on us, and we're hanging on by a thread. Some of us are exhausted from chronic pain and terminal illness, and we don't know how to keep going on. There are no words. Spirit, we don't know how to pray in these places of pain, but you do. You're in it with us. As promised, come and intercede for us, joining in our silent cries. We thank you that when we don't have the words, you know the deepest places of our hearts even better than we do. We trust you to hear us, and we find peace knowing that you are working it all out for good and to make us more like Jesus, even though we don't yet see how. In the meantime, help us to hold fast to hope and wait patiently for the day that you will come again and bring the world and us into your glory. Amen. Would you stand with us? Here's what I ask as we sing this next song. Can we not do the Christian karaoke thing and just read lyrics off the screen? For some of you, here's what I'm asking. Actually sing this out loud and make this your war cry in this season of your life. For some of you, you're like, I don't know if I believe this and things are too heavy in my life. I can't even open up my mouth. Would you just let these words wash over you and hold on to them? But let's declare this. Even if you're not in a season of saying, I, I believe this, I want it. Maybe you're just holding on by a thin, thin thread. What if that's all that it takes? Could you worship and sing this with us, believing that in whatever place you're in, whether it's pain, suffering, joy, that there is a God who is with you, who listens to you, who your words don't fall on deaf ears, but they come in the presence and at the feet of a living God who is working even when you and I don't see it. So let's sing like that is our reality because it is.